How's everybody doing today? I'd like to welcome everybody out today, let you know we're happy to have you here today. Uh, Tim started a series last week entitled Paradigm Shift. Uh, and I don't know if you're familiar with the word paradigm or not, uh, or the idea of a paradigm shift. A paradigm is simply a thought process, the way you view something. And uh, it is amazing what happens when you have a paradigm shift. I remember when I first learned about this, I was listening to an author by the name of Dr. Stephen Covey. He's the guy that wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You may remember that. And uh, he was talking about it, and I was in the middle of my struggle with depression and trying to find a way to not be depressed. And he started talking about this, and it was incredibly exciting to think that I could change the way I thought, and I didn't have to be depressed. I could look at my circumstances differently. I could view them differently. And all of a sudden, things were different. It empowered me. It gave me power over the depression. And ultimately, those thoughts changed to view things the way God said to view them. My paradigm shifts were closely related to the Bible. Or connected to the Bible, I guess I should say. In fact, the verse that Tim used last week here in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, I don't know if he's planning on using it every week. Uh, it's kind of the theme verse, though, it should be for this series. And this verse was instrumental in me learning how to have a paradigm shift. And we use the New Living Translation because of the way it words it. Uh, it translates it accurately, but this is what it says. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And guys, it is exciting to become a new person, to become a different person by letting God change the way you think. And specifically to change the way you think the way He thinks and not the way the world around you thinks. That's what it says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. I still remember my excitement in it. And I like to, you know, I, when I had my first paradigm shift and I experienced the difference, I wanted more of it. You know, let's change them all the time. And I was very tempted. I didn't do this, but I wanted to take two dimes, crazy glue them together, and I wanted to keep them in my pocket all the time. And when I found myself in a tough spot where I knew my thinking was jacked up, I wanted to take it out of one pocket and put it into the other pocket. You know, I was shifting a pair of dimes. You get it? You like that? I never did that, but I thought it would be a great physical reminder and representation when I was in a tough spot and I didn't like the way I was feeling, I didn't like the way I was viewing things, to go, hey, i got to look at things differently. And the truth of the matter is, there's two things. Number one, I believe we are all what I refer to as rut thinkers. We start thinking one way and we stay that way. And you know what I'm talking about. If I mention somebody who's a complainer, somebody comes to your mind. If you think of somebody who's overly optimistic, okay, they disgust you, right? <laughs> And so you're like, you know, you have somebody there. 
And especially if you're around somebody all the time, you know the way they think. You know their thought process. And we are rut thinkers. That's number one. The number two thing that I believe is true is we tend to be exactly what this verse is telling us not to do. We tend to copy the behavior and customs of this world. We are bombarded every day with what the world thinks as opposed to what God thinks. It's the radio, it's on the TV, it's from your coworkers at work, and it's there. And the truth of the matter is, guys, and again, this verse embodies it. When we talk about paradigm shifts, you signed up for paradigm shifts when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You know that? I mean, that is what you were signing up for. That's why Jesus said, if anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow Me. What's He saying? you got to change. Old self has to die. And guys, that is what you signed up for. Not only for God to change you at the moment you were baptized and your sins were forgiven, but it's an ongoing process. In Romans chapter 8, it talks about us being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. I don't think any of us are there yet, are we? (laughs) We're not. And so what's that mean? That paradigm shifts and being transformed by the way we think is an ongoing and continuous process that we need to be actively involved in. I like to ask questions like this all the time. Of You know, I ask, What sin are you presently trying to put to death? What area of your life presently is Jesus trying to make you think more like Him? And I ask you right now, guys, how is God trying to change the way you think? He is doing that. And guys, I'm excited about this series. If you weren't here last week, didn't get to hear Tim, I highly encourage you to go online and listen to that. He did a fabulous job of setting this up and of how paradigm shifts are what we're supposed to be a part of. Today, he has asked me to speak about paradigm shifts on money. Okay? I called it financial planning. Because anybody knows if you're going to set yourself up for retirement, you're going to set yourself up for the future, you have to plan. And when it comes to how we handle our money and having a paradigm shift away from the way the world says to do it and to the way God says we do it, you've got to shift your paradigm. And we want to talk about this. Tim didn't plan it this way, but I believe this should be the first topic that we talk about. There's a verse here in Luke 16, and I believe this is one of the verses that illustrate, and there's some more later down on the lesson that affirm this, and there's others in the New Testament. But basically, how we handle money is considered kind of a a small thing in God's eyes. And this is what the verse is saying in Luke 16. It says, if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? You may have heard it said, he who is faithful with little is faithful with much. And that's what this verse is saying. If you're not faithful with handling your money, and we're going to talk about this translation says worldly wealth, 
I'm going to talk much more than about money, but all of our resources. But if we're unfaithful in handling the material resources that God gives us in this world, how can we be faithful with the riches of heaven? How can we be faithful with true riches? It's like it's a test. It really is. And so guys, that's what we're going to be talking about first. Now before we begin, in your notes there, it says faithful equals. And I want to put it down there. Faithful equals serving the Master's purpose. You see folks, what we're wanting to be, and we're going to read a parable here that talks about this, we want to be good and faithful servants. That's the way Jesus wants to refer to each and every one of us. Is as a good and faithful servant. Well, good and faithful means you are serving the Master's purpose. Now what we're going to do, and I believe this is going to be up on the screen, is I'd like to read a parable from Matthew 25. I would like to say this is probably my favorite parable. seems like I'm talking about it all the time. Uh, God brings me back to this and asks me to read it. Uh, we're going to read it, read through it. Uh, I'll talk about it in a little bit along the way. But anyway, beginning in verse 14. He's talking about the kingdom of God, and this is what he says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and, his tr- and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold. Now let me stop right there. I wish I'd chose a different translation on this. Five bags of gold is, is, doesn't give you the clear enough understanding of what he was talking about there. The word that's used is talents. And he's not talking about your abilities. He's talking about a measure of money. A talent of money in the first century was equivalent to 20 years of a day worker's wages. Okay, we figured this out this morning in the first service. That basically, if you were to view it at $15 an hour, this five talents or five bags of gold was the equivalent of approximately $3 million. Okay? $3 million. Let's go on. He says, To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag of gold, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, 
harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not gathered seed. So I was afraid, and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now guys, that's a parable, and if you're unfamiliar with a parable, a parable is simply a story that illustrates what Jesus wants us to understand. Okay? Now, first thing you want to know, the master in the story. You want to know who does the master represent? Well, I think it's fairly simple. Who do you think has left us, given us some things, and is planning on coming back? Any ideas? If you think it's Jesus, you're right. Okay? The master in the story is Jesus. And he has left, he's coming back. Now guys, I want to say one thing very clearly as we go through this. I have chosen the word master to describe Jesus or to describe God very carefully. One, because that's the illustration that Jesus used or the word that Jesus used. Second is because we don't typically like to use the word master, do we? We might say we're doing what our Lord said. Uh, we might refer to Jesus as our Savior. But Master, I think, is significant. Because Master means we're to do what He wants us to do. And so guys, as we go through it, I want to encourage you with that. But anyway, how do I become a good and, a good and faithful servant? The first thing is, I transfer ownership. You see, guys, the word master, what does that imply? It doesn't just imply it. The word master means he owns you. I believe we don't like to use that word partially because of the stigma of slavery and the abuse of slavery in this country. But a slave referred to their owner as master. That meant their whole life was to be about what the owner, what the master wanted. And in this story, what's happening? The owner, the master, is giving the servants money. Whose money is he giving them? The masters. The masters. And I want to tell you guys, this story isn't about just about how you invest your money. Okay? I believe that money here represents every resource that God's given you. Your money is a part of that. It's the clearest, most obvious one. Your time is a part of that. Your marriage is a part of that. Your family is a part of that. Your career, your education, your talents outside of your job. Everything you own is a part of that. My wife and I recently... Uh, did some estate planning. And we 
uh, set up what is called an irrevocable trust. Uh, if you, if, it, it's wise to do that unless you want the government to meddle in your money after you're gone. Okay? And one of the things we had to do, we set up this irrevocable trust, which in the eyes of our government is a legal entity. And we had to transfer ownership of our possessions there. We transferred title to the house into the chapel irrevocable trust. The chapel irrevocable trust is now the beneficiary of the life insurance on me. We don't carry any on Susan because I don't want to raise any suspicion if she dies mysteriously. She's used to that. I've been using that one for years. But guys, we, we transfer ownership. The ownership of our business is now in the chapel irrevocable trust. Guys, I, I just want to let you know, I don't know how you do this to make it clear to yourself, but you need to, in your mind, transfer the ownership of everything in your life over to Jesus. He is your Master. That is what you signed up for. Now let me ask you, if you recognize Jesus as the owner of every resource that you had, do you think you might give more consideration to how you use those resources? You might think about how you spend your money, what you do with your money, how you invest your money. I guys, I believe you will. That's why we, I, I believe we have to recognize Jesus is saying this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a master that gives resources to his servants and expects them to put them to use for him. But they recognize that they are his resources. If you look at these two passages here, one in Matthew 25, verse 14, we've already read this. That again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Guys, what he's saying is there is nothing in your life that was not given to you. Okay? I don't agree with him entirely on what he had to say, but President Obama made a statement kind of like this. He wasn't pointing us at God by any stretch of the imagination. He was pointing us more at the government. But he says, you didn't do nothing. He goes on to say, you got a business? You didn't build that business. And he got a lot of heat for that. But it's the truth of the matter, guys. Everything you have came from God. Years ago, I remember my wife having, having this paradigm shift or this epiphany, or at least she verbalized it for the first time. And she talks about, she says, I didn't do nothing to deserve what I have. And she was recognizing what? I was in a stable family. Mom and dad, my dad, you know, financially supported the family. And then finally, you know, he got to the point where he supported us very well, had a good income. He paid for my college, when she wanted to go to college, she chose what college she wanted to go to. She chose what she wanted to study. Daddy wrote checks. She went to college, didn't have to work. Got straight A's, and she got one B, right? Is that right? One B. Got a reminder of that. Got out of college, got her a good job, and she took a look at all this and goes, I just, all, she, all I did was I was just faithful with what I was given. 
But there's nothing special. It was I was given it all. And I don't know if she was comparing to me because I had the exact opposite. Unstable home. Father did not support the family. Okay? Got ready for college? There was no checks to be written. Nobody to encourage. Nobody to talk through things with. And it was just, it was just a different scenario. Guys, you have to recognize. You need to recognize everything you have belongs to Jesus. Transfer the ownership. The second thing, if we're going to be good and faithful servants, is I need to get to know my master. Get to know the Master. Guys, this series points us all individually towards God's will. Do you know that? Pull that pull that first verse back up. Can you do that? I don't know who's up there. That Romans 12 too? I read it, but I didn't emphasize the second part of the verse. Are they listening? Oh, there it is. There it is. Okay. Guys, you see, look, it says we focused on the first verse, first half of the verse, the first sentence, in order to talk about this series about don't copy the behavior of the world, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let's say, it goes, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I cannot tell you how many times over the years that I've been asked the question, how do I know God's will for my life? Well, I want to tell you, not only can you, you need to. Jesus wants you to know it. You see, guys, when you go back to this parable and you read this passage, what does it say? It says his master in Matthew 25. It says, his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not gathered seed. You knew. Do you know what God wants you to do with your resources? Do you know? Now some of you are going to go, yeah, I think I do. Well, let's read the next passage and this will scare the fire out of you. In Luke 12, 47-48, this is what it says. It says, the servant who knows the Master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the Master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now you may look at that verse and you may say, seems to me like it's better if I don't know. Anybody think that? That's not a good option. You're still beaten. Would you rather have few blows from God or many blows? How about no blows? That's what you want. But guys, the worst situation is if you know it and you don't do it. So you need to understand, when I say you need to get to know the Master's will, that needs to be with the intention of doing it. Because you want to be a good and faithful servant. You want to do the Master's will. You want to use the resources He has left you with to fulfill His purpose. To do His will. 
You see, guys, several years ago, we were in a small group, and the question was asked, do you really want to know what God thinks about what you're doing? How you're living your life? And there was a brother that spoke up, and he goes, no! I looked at him and go, why not? And basically, he was afraid that God was going to ask him to do something he did not want to do. And he mentioned specifically selling all his stuff and moving to Africa to be a missionary. That was what he was afraid of. And so he chose to not pursue the Master's will. And if you knew the guy at all, it was clear. He was after doing his own will. Not the Master's will. And so guys, you've got to get to know the Master. You've got to know what it's all about. You see guys, there are some basics and we're going to talk a little bit more about these right now. He's already told us some very clear, very basic things. If you've read the story of the Good Samaritan where people asked him, who's my neighbor? After Jesus said, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Which is the second and the greatest commandment after love your, the Lord your God. You know that He expects you to meet the needs of those He puts in your path. You know that. You can do that. Anybody He puts in your path. <clears throat> See guys, not knowing is not a good option. And if you want to know Jesus' will, you've got to get to know Him. So guys, I close out this point. I just want to ask Him, are you actively seeking Jesus' will in my life? And more specifically, are you actively seeking what Jesus wants you to do with your money? Because I'm going to share a little bit about this in a minute, but I'm not sure if that challenge ever goes away. I'm really not. But guys, the question is, do you want to know the Master's will? And specifically with regards to your money. How you spend it. How you invest it. Why you invest it. You see guys, guys, that leads me to a third point. If I'm going to be a good and faithful servant, I need to begin investing my resources. In Matthew 25, verse 16, talking about the first servant. He says, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. Now, we don't know how long it took him to double the money in the story. It doesn't say. It just says the master went off on a long journey. But he got to work right away. And guys, I want to encourage you is. Tim talked to me about this after the teacher's service. I want to encourage you to be thinking, what can you do right away to invest the resources God has given you? What can you do right away? See, sometimes you think, well, after I get out of college, after I get a job, after I get my car paid off, afterwards, I'll do something. And guys, I love the story of, uh, of Coral Wolf. Not Coral Wolf. Man, Coral Kimball, excuse me, is her maiden name from several decades ago. Anyway, uh, most of you know her basic story. Uh, she was married, had two children. Her, 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 her husband was unfaithful and left her. And uh, she had to support two children. Uh, because of her husband's situation, she didn't get regular child support. 
She went back to school. She was working a part-time job and, and just scraping by. And, and God was really convicting her about worrying because the Bible says don't worry about those finances. And one of the things that she decided to put it into practice, what would serve the Master's purpose, help her not to worry, and to serve the Master's will, was whenever she saw a homeless person, she was going to buy them a meal. You see, guys, it don't take much. You may not have much, but you can start investing your resources right away. We tend to look for the big deal. You know, like, like, like the guy I told you about, I'm afraid God's going to tell me to sell everything and be a missionary. No, He may want you to start with just being less selfish. You know, He may want you to start buying homeless people meals because I know how you, you know you you may think that they're just alcoholics and they got themselves in that position. Well, he wants to do you to do it for you. So, guys, what can you do? You see, guys, when I said you need to begin investing your resources, I may be a little bit more clear. And what I say is, you need to begin investing your resources to serve the master. See, because the truth is, you are making investments right now. You are investing. If you're, if you're a college student, you're investing your time and your money for an education. If you're a working person, you may be investing your money for your future, for your retirement. Or you may be investing for the house you want, or the next house you want. Or you may be investing for your comfort, or your lifestyle, or your image, or your career. But you are investing every resource that you have right now for some purpose. The question is, are you investing it to satisfy the will of the Master? Or are you doing it for yourself? You see guys, there's a verse here in Matthew 6 that you're probably familiar with. It's looked at, but a lot of times it's misunderstood. Or it's not completely understood. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Guys, I've heard stories of Christians who read this verse and so they refuse to save any money. They spend everything they make. Years ago I heard this story. That's not what this is teaching. Okay? That's not what this is teaching because if you look at two little words there that tell you what it's talking about or make the difference, it says, do not store up for yourselves. Circle those words for yourselves, guys, because that gets back to motive. It's not a matter of, am I storing up? Am I investing? It's a matter of, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? In Luke, Jesus told a story about a man who decided he was going to store up. He had a good harvest. He was a farmer. He was going to tear down his old barns, build bigger barns. 
And he said they didn't have lots to live on. He could sit back and take it easy. And Jesus said, "You, God said, you fool, your life will be taken from you tonight. And Jesus summed it all up in verse 21 of Luke 16. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Guys, right now, there's another verse in your notes that illustrate this very clearly, guys. I want to talk a little bit about the special contribution we have coming up. Okay, I don't think I'm going to say what you think, so prepare yourself. But guys, that's kind of a big thing. Or can be. Guys, I want to let you know that's not what we're after. And I'm going to get to that. But guys, I want to look at this passage here in Matthew 25. Verses 34-36. Jesus tells us tells us a reality after this parable that we just read about the talents. He tells us a reality about what it's going to be like on Judgment Day. And how He's going to divide us from the left and the right like goats and sheep. And He says, this is beginning verse 34, He says, Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He's saying, you're saved. You made it. Now he tells them why. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked for me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. See guys, the truth of the matter is, We are going to be judged by what we do with the resources. And if we're going to serve them, use them to serve the Master's purpose. The Master's will. See guys, we're having a special contribution at the end of June. And I've got to tell you, I believe this is a tremendous opportunity for us at Greater Alton. Not to raise a bunch of money. It's a, I believe we have thrown the door wide open for each of us to individually look at ourselves and ask the question, am I a good and faithful servant with the resources God gave me? You see guys, let me tell you, uh, about six weeks ago, we were praying here on a Thursday night. We were out in the small dome. I don't remember who all was there, but I remember Chris Weiler was there because Chris prayed a prayer that made me go... And he's prayed it again. He keeps praying it. Okay, he was praying about the special contribution. And our goal for the special contribution is $100,000. We just want to be aggressive at paying off our mortgage. The mortgage is $600,000 or $600,000. It's a bunch of money. And Chris prayed that God would pay off the entire mortgage. Why would I not? I'm making these facial expressions because I'm like, my faith was challenged. You want God to do big things, you need to pray big prayers. That's a side note. But I went away from that, and He challenged, God challenged my faith. I walked away from that, and I'm like, well, how could that happen? You know, I'm a businessman. 
like to do the number, crunch the numbers, you know, and if you just deal with the number $600,000, you know, if we could get six people or six groups of people to come up with $100,000 each, you know, I would do it. I would do it. And so the next question was, would I come up with $100,000? If I, if I emptied a lot of my resources, I think we could. That's how you scare your wife, by the way. But guys, I'm just, I'm just sharing with you my thought process, okay? And it started challenging me what God, where's God wants us to be? And I started talking about this with Tim and Alan on our Wednesday, when we get together on Wednesday morning. And there was a whiteboard there, and I wrote up on the door, $100,000. That's our goal, right? No, that's not our goal. That's our goal for June. Why did we set that goal and put it before you? Because our goal is to get rid of the stinking mortgage entirely. Okay? And that's what Chris is praying for. Now, I'm, we're not changing the goal. We, we are changing the goal. But we're not changing it to paying off the mortgage. That was already the goal. And then I thought, that's not really our goal either. Why do we want to pay off the mortgage? Because we believe God wants us to use our resources in a better way. God wants us to be good and faithful servants. And it's our desire, Tim Allen and I, that Greater Alton becomes known as people who are good and faithful servants. And guys, that's what this is all about. If you, if you noticed, if you looked on the, the thermometer that Mike made out there, we were talking about it with him, and, and he's, I don't know if he scratched out the 100,000 or if he just put up at the top. Good and faithful servants. That's what we want you guys to examine. We want you to ask the question, what's good and faithful for me? And guys, I hope, I'm praying, we are praying it throws the door open for not only you examining what's good and faithful for this special contribution for you, but what's good and faithful for you on a daily basis? On a on a Moving forward. You see, guys, if we pay off that mortgage, whenever we do, and yet we're people who aren't meeting individuals' needs that come in front of us, we've missed it. We've missed it. And guys, I don't know where it's all going to go. I don't know where it's going to end up. But guys, i got to tell you, I long for the day when somebody is talking at work and they're talking about a friend and they oh, they go to the Greater Alton Church. And they go, oh, those people take the words of Jesus very seriously. Those people, they do what the will of God's all about. They're willing to take risk with whatever resources they have. And guys, as we as, as we're closing out today, and we're talking about paradigm shifts, guys, I'm begging you, throw the door wide open. Throw the door wide open. God has been working on me in a number of ways over the past six months to understand completely what is good and faithful on a daily basis, on a way moving forward. You see. 
if you're going to fulfill the will of the Master, you've got to have some paradigm shifts. You need to allow God to change you into a new person, and you need to change the way you think. And I'm not excluding anybody in this room from that. Every one of us, nobody's completely like Jesus yet. He's working on you. And I am asking you specifically to examine your paradigm on using the Master's resources. Do you even consider them the Master's resources? See, traditionally, churches have preached tithing. And what that does is say, okay, I give my 10%, so now I can do what I want with the other 90%. I used to go through places and I'd see things in need, whether it was a milk jug at the store for somebody with cancer or uh, uh, some other need, and I'm like, no, I give all my money to the church. And I wasn't being like Jesus. And so guys, as, we cl- as I close out the day, I'm asking you to examine your paradigm on the Master's resources. I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to sing a song. On the second song, we're going to pass the baskets. I encourage you to fill out a prayer card if you have prayer requests. If you're visiting with us, we do not want your money. We're not asking for your money. I'm talking about money. If you're a member, we need your money. Okay? Because we still get that mortgage payment. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, it is awesome to look at what's good and faithful. And it's awesome to recognize that You've given us so much. And not only have You given us so much, Father, You can be trusted to give us more. That guy with the five talents that doubled it got another one because he was faithful. Father, I'm not going to sit here and tell people, tell anybody that God's going to make them rich. But I know the more I allow You to use me and my resources, the more You will use me. Father, my desire is to stand before You on judgment and to be called a good and faithful servant. Father, I pray every individual in this room can set that before themselves as a goal right now and begin investing some resource that You've given them. Father, as they walk out this morning to think about, to recognize when You've placed an opportunity in front of them to be Jesus in the world and to use the resources You have so graciously given us. Father, that's our prayer. Amen.